My name is Alex DeRosa, and I'm one of our pastors here at New Life, and I'm excited to be with you today. This is your first time here. I just want to say welcome. I want you to know that we've been praying and planning for your arrival today. Whether it's your first time or not, I'm just so thankful that you decided to invest some of your morning with us. Right now, we are in part two of a series called The Spiritual Growth Continuum. And in that series, what we're simply talking about is how all of us are called to grow in our lives and our spiritual journeys. We all start as explorers, looking for answers, asking the questions about God. And then when we choose to follow Jesus, we become believers, and then disciples, and then spirit-led followers of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Chris talked about explorers. And I want to say right now, if you are an explorer here, and you're wondering, and you're asking these questions, I want to let you know that I'm glad you're here, and I know that God's glad you're here as well. You see, explorers are not far from God because God is not far from explorers. So if you're asking these questions, you're in a good spot. You're in a good place to be because God wants to provide you answers today. And I pray that through something we say today, we'll we'll bring an answer to you that, that you've been asking for as we dive into God's word and talk about believers, which is that next step. And when I talk about believers, I'm not just talking about knowing something, knowing that something's true. I'm talking about giving our lives over to Jesus. They're, they're separate. Belief is more than just thinking. Recently, I was reading this fiction book. It's a science fiction book called Children of the Mind. And in that book, there are two characters, a wife and a husband. Navinha is the wife and Andrew is the husband. Navinha follows Jesus and and she's on some alien planet because it's a sci-fi book and she's in this Christian community and Andrew, her husband, wants to join her. And Andrew says, I do believe in God. Like, let let me join you. And she looks at him and says, you don't believe in God? And he says, yeah, I do. And she responds this way. And I thought it rang true, even though, again, it's not from the word of God, but it helped me to get my mind wrapped around this idea of being a believer. She said this, oh, you're willing to concede God's existence. That's not what I meant. I mean, believe in him the way a mother means it when she says to her son, I believe in you. She's not saying she believes that he exists. What is that worth? She's saying she believes in his future. She trusts that he'll do all the good that is in him to do. She puts the future in his hands. That's how she believes in him. She said, it's one thing to say, I believe in my children. I have three boys. One's on the way out. The two of the rest here. And I believe in them. I believe in what God's going to have them to do. I even believe that Joel wasn't going to come up on stage as he tried to. That's because I also believe in my wife. And and I know that she has it handled. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking a similar way. We're not just believing he exists. That's a great thing, mind you. That's a starting point. But what goes beyond explorer to believer is believing in who he is for our lives, that he is the creator of us, that he died and rose again for you and me, that he is the beginning and the end, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of the universe who loves us and wants a relationship with us. And when we know that and we believe in that in our heart and we give our lives over to him, that's when we become believers. Pastor Chris put it this way last week. He said, believe is a much stronger word than we might think. I might think Jesus was a great man, teacher, and healer. I might even think he was and is God. But when I believe it, I move from the realm of abstractions to the concrete. Jesus no longer exists as some nebulous deity. He becomes my Savior and Lord. Savior meaning rescuer from sin and death. And Lord meaning owner, master, God of our lives. So that is what we're going to talk about today. 
having Jesus become our Lord and Savior. And in order to do that, we're really gonna take this message in three different parts. We're gonna be asking and answering three questions. And I know as I say that, that I'm asking and answering my own questions, it kind of feels weird, but we're kind of just, you know, doing this together. We're talking together here and we're gonna go through these three questions. First one, what do we believe? Second one, why should I believe it? And finally, how does belief go from our heads to our hearts? These are questions that I have wrestled with, that I've asked God about, that I've sought answers for over the last 20 years of being a Christian. In fact, the first two years of going to a church, I really struggled with all of these questions and I, I wanted God to answer them. And I want to tell you today that as I've wrestled, as I've, I've asked God, God has always been faithful. He's always either given me the answer that I was looking for or given me the peace knowing that he has the answers. And while I don't have all the answers, mind you, I want to share with you what God has taught me. And after this message, if you still have more questions, which is normal, I'd encourage you to reach out. And I'd love, if I don't know the answers, to help and walk alongside you as we figure out what God has to say to us together. We also wanted to provide you with some extra information. So if you got a message outline, or if you didn't, maybe you can grab one on your way out. There are seven books on there that Pastor Chris and I vetted, and they're very good. And they talk about, about proof, about evidence, about what we believe and why we believe it as well. So I'd encourage you, if you're asking more questions, you want to learn more, you just want to know more about this, this faith that we believe in, I'd encourage you to look in those books. But before we get into that first question, what do we believe? Would you please pray with me? Dear God, right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be with us, that you'll descend. Well, we know that you're here right now. I pray that you will speak to our hearts, that you will move me out of the way. And I pray that you will just say whatever it is that you want to say today. I pray that you will draw us all, no matter where we're at, closer to you. And I pray for those in here that are asking these questions, that you will provide the answers, because you're the God of all answers. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we believe? Well, here at New Life, everything that we believe is founded upon God's word, the Bible. The holy scriptures that we believe were written by people, but inspired by God himself. And the Bible together is an intricate story that tells one story. And that story is about Jesus. It's an intricate story that helps us to understand who God is. We get to see his face and hear his voice through his word. And so instead of looking around to the world to help us to understand how to live life, we simply look at God's word because the Bible is God's word and the only guide to daily living. It stands firm over all time because God's word's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we believe in the Bible. And what does the Bible teach us? Well, it teaches us a lot about God. And the main thing that is really at the center of Christianity and the center of what we believe is today's, uh, today's take-home point, which is the one point that this message is all about. And it's simply this. There is one eternal God who is manifest in three persons, Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. God is one, and he's also three. And if that makes your brain hurt a little bit, you're not alone. I think there's actually some comfort in that. The fact that I can't completely grasp three in one and how that makes sense. Because if I could understand God in his entirety, what kind of God would he be? He's an everlasting, he's, he's all-knowing, all-powerful God. And if I could understand him at the age of 36, I don't know how great he would be. But the idea that we can't completely wrap our minds around the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how they exist together is actually some comfort to me. 
However, when I was in my master's program, I was reading a book and it was talking about the Trinity and it had this great illustration that did help me understand a little bit more of what God is like. And I wanted to share it with you today. This kind of helps the whole three in one. So top left says the Father. If you go across the top, it says the Father is not the Son, who is not the Holy Spirit, who is not the Father. But then you go to the center, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So all three are God, but they have different functions. When I was in high school, it was described to me kind of like H2O. H2O can come in three forms, gas or liquid or solid. When you're drinking a cup of water or you're holding an ice cube, they're both H2O, but they have different functions. Same thing with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. So let's start with the Father. Who is the Father? Well, God's word tells us that while the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all existed from the beginning of time, the Father is the creator. He's the one that created everything that we see and he loves you and me. That he has revealed himself through creation and he is holy, he is set apart, he is perfect. Isaiah, the prophet, talked about how we can see God even through all creation. Isaiah said this about the Father. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah continues on and talks about all the marvelous things in creation that we can see that come from God, the Father, the Creator's hand. See, at the beginning of time, God created everything. Sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the planet, water, and humans. And we made humans, he made them very good. He made Adam and he made Eve. Adam in the Hebrew is Adam, which simply means humanity, and Eve meaning living. And so he made these living people that were made in his image, in the image of God. And he created us specifically to live in relationship with him, to live and walk in a loving relationship with the God of the universe. He made us in his image so that we were like him and we walked and we talked with him. Humans did. Adam and Eve did. But God also made us with a choice, with the power to choose. He didn't make us robots. He didn't make us have to follow him because there's no loving relationship in that. So he gave us a choice to follow him or, and to love him, to follow what he says is good, to follow all his ways. Unfortunately, people did not. Adam and Eve decided to go against God and disobeyed. And when that happened, two things entered into this world, sin and death. There was no death before this. You see, God is perfect. And when people are in his presence perfectly, we get that benefit of living forever with him because he is eternal. And, the, and Adam and Eve got to experience that, but then whenever they separated, sin and death entered. Sin is simply anything against God's will. And what it did was it took this perfect relationship with us and God, and it created a separation. Sin stopped us from coming to God perfectly. Why? Because he's perfect. And so sin can't perfectly enter his presence. And so people couldn't approach him like they once did, like we were created to. And then throughout the years, although people try to rectify this, no amount of striving would fix this separation because people continue to sin. People continue to walk away from God. In fact, the apostle Paul said this to the church in Rome. He said, for everyone, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard and his glorious standard is perfection. We just couldn't do it. 
So what did God do? Well, he sent the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, into this world. Jesus came to this world, fully human, fully God. He was born of a virgin, Mary. And if you want to think about this, he knit himself together because he's God uh, in his mother's womb, who he knit together in her mother's womb, because that's just how God works. And then he lived a life that we couldn't. He lived perfectly on this earth. He lived as a full human and full God, and he was perfect. And because of that, he was able to make right what we couldn't. You see, God is love, but he's also just. And because he's just, something needed to pay for the debt that we owed for this sin, for this consequence. Something needed to be sacrificed for the sin to be removed. And Jesus took all of that sin on his shoulders and was crucified for you and I for those sins to be removed. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And when that happened, he broke the chains of sin and death that we allowed to enter into this world with our disobedience. He broke the chains that they had upon us. And now what he's asked us to do is trust in him as Lord and Savior. And when we do that, man, that sin is removed. And we once again can walk in relationship with God now and for eternity. We can experience life as he meant it to be lived as image bearers of God. And then after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to more than 500 people and then eventually went to go be with his father in heaven. But before he went, he made sure to promise that the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, would come and be with believers. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus said happened as it always does. So Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit descended. The Holy Spirit came upon believers and continues to do so. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and sustainer for all who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit provides opportunity for people to come to know Jesus because it draws people in through the glory of God and brings about the kingdom of God on this earth. And we believe that all of the gifts, the supernatural gifts that are talked about in the New Testament, where there's healing and there's prophecy and there's tongues, all of that still happen. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is still here today. The Holy Spirit is still moving and still joining us to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are three and one. So that is at the core of what we believe. And maybe that was the first time you're hearing it. And if so, I, I'm so happy about that. And if not, I'm happy about that as well, because I pray that something that we talk about, whether it's talking about God or what we're talking about next regarding why should we believe it, I pray that God will use you to share that with someone in your life. Because if you're not asking these questions, I believe someone around you is. And if not, well, we got to go find someone who is asking these questions. So let's ask it. Why should I believe it? Because it's good to know what we believe, but why? And it's a great question because it is a huge decision to follow Jesus with our lives. So let's ask the question, why should we believe it? And let's not find any guilt in that. Let's go to God and just say, hey, God, how do we know that you are who you say you are? And now we aren't able to go in our time frame today over every bit of evidence for God existing. And there is a lot of it. That's why we gave you those references in the book suggestions. But let me go over some because I believe it's important to talk about the certainty and the proof of our faith. Because Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is a certainty of things hoped for and the proof 
of what is unseen. So certainty and proof. For a long time, I thought of that verse and as faith as being the unseen and the hoped for. And when I did that, I kind of thought of faith as being blind faith. Like, oh yeah, we have to take this leap without knowing anything to back it up. But that's not what it says. It says faith is certainty of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. Why does it say that? Because the early disciples tested to prove that Jesus is who he said he is. They made sure of it. When he came back from the dead, they felt him. They, they ate with him. They made sure that he really was alive again. And then they passed on that evidence. And then as the world continues to go, God continues to reveal himself to us to show us more and more evidence for the fact that he exists. So let's get in. How do we know God exists? We're gonna just talk about three things, three of the many that we could talk about. The first thing is this. We all have a moral code written inside of us. We have a moral code written in each of us. We know good and we know evil. We experience it and we go, okay, that is good. We experience it and something else and we go, that is evil. And throughout history, over all nations and cultures, there's an understanding of good and evil. A couple years ago, I was talking to a buddy of mine and he disagreed with me on this. He said, I don't think there is any truth. And, and I, I, I really find it fun when someone says that because then I go, do you believe that's true? And they say, yes. And I said, well, then there is truth. And we talked about it. But we talked about that for a bit. And then he said, well, I don't believe there's good and evil. He said, I think you could just kind of make that up as everyone wants to. And I disagreed with him. As the years go on, he has gotten a job where he's interacted with some tragedies, some people doing some awful things in life. And he reached out to a buddy of mine and myself. And he said, I've seen people do awful things and I can't escape it. There is evil in this world. People are not good. And he, he was talking about how does he rationalize that truth with his belief that you can just kind of make up good and evil. And I said, you just can't. They both can't be true at the same time. There's one thing that is true. Is it not knowable or is there good and evil? And so we talked a lot about that. And then I got to share with him about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, was a very intelligent man in England and he sought after the truth about God and he found God and Jesus through it. And he wrote some wonderful books helping us to understand our faith. And he struggled with that same thing about good and evil. He talked about it as just and unjust. And he wrote this regarding his arguing with God. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So when my friend messaged and said, I've seen people do evil things, he had to rationalize, wait a second, if I notice that something is evil, not just I think they think it's evil. There is this crooked line that I'm noticing. And where did this straight line come from? Where it comes from God. You see, God imprinted in us his image. So we know good and evil because he is good. So we're drawn to him. C.S. Lewis went on to even talk about how he had one time believed that we were just random acts of nature that happened. So our minds are just like just different neurons and atoms just bouncing around in our heads and they kind of create their own good and evil. But then he started to realize about this just and unjust and went, wait a second, all people everywhere had this random occurrence that set them on the same path of the same line of good and evil. It doesn't make sense. So he started trusting in God. So we all have this moral code that's written in the heart of all of us. God put it there because we are created in his image. What else? Well, there is a spiritual realm alongside our physical realm. We are spiritual beings interacting in a physical world and we know it. 
We might not always be able to put our fingers on it, but we know it. And throughout history, actually, all the nations of the world believe that there is some kind of spiritual force, that there's some kind of God. Not all nations in history have always believed in the true God, but all nations have accepted this idea of God or gods and spirituality. Why? Because there's a spiritual realm here. Now, America's kind of funny in nature because we are trying to exist as the first nation in history that live as if God doesn't exist. We're trying our best to try to act like that is true. But America's not even good at that even. You look at the atheist culture and, and you see different spirituality things that are coming in, that are creeping in. You have people that are believing in, in crystals, people that are doing something as simple as just setting vibes into the universe for things to, to happen, people wa wanting divinations or people wanting to talk to the dead. Why? Because we have this understanding that there is a spiritual realm alongside ours. Tim Keller even talks about how Christianity is the only answer for the world's understanding of spirituality. But we don't go into cultures and say, well, you're wrong, this is what's right. What we do is we help understand what they're trying to figure out. So he used an example of Africa. Africa Africans believe that there are good spirits and there are evil spirits. And so Christianity comes in and says, you're right. Let me tell you what the, the good forces of, of the spiritual realm are and what the evil ones are because there is a spiritual realm. And we see all over the world spiritual things still happening and people encountering God in a spiritual way. There is this woman who is now with the Lord. Her name is Bilqui Sheik, and she was a Muslim woman in a Muslim nation. And God spoke to her in prophetic dreams. And then she started to see these miraculous things happen and she could not deny it anymore that Jesus is real. We have some friends from Lux Digital Church and from New Life that, uh, that went to Africa recently and they came back and I got to hang out with one of them last week and, and, and he talked about how when they were there, some people that were demon possessed had these demons cast out of them. And he said, I couldn't believe, like there's a spiritual world that we're encountering. My friend Tony recently went to Southeast Asia with his 10 year old daughter. And while they were there, the Holy Spirit filled her up and prophesied from her. And they're still walking out what that means for her life, but they got to experience this spiritual nature. There's this writer for the New York Times, his name is David Brooks. And David Brooks uh, is a secular writer, secular col columnist, and also uh, wrote books. And in a recent book called The Second Mountain, he talks about his exploration for morality. And four chapters in that book talk about how he found God, how he walked through the idea of Judaism and Christianity, and he came to the conclusion that it is true, that Christianity is true. And then in an interview recently, someone said, are you willing to embrace Christianity? Meaning, like, is it going from here to here? And he finally said, yes. And he was just simply looking for morality, but he kept experiencing these spiritual things happening and he wasn't ready for it and he attributed it to God. Why? Because we're spiritual beings in a physical world. How else do we know that God exists? Well, the third thing is science points to the existence of God. And I love this. I love science. The more I look at science, the more evident God is, the more I see his face. James Tor, who is a nanoscientist, once said this, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. 
He said that because the more scientists study our universe, the more evident that it is that God created everything. You see, there's this common held belief in science that the world came, the universe rather, came from one point. You might have heard of it as the Big Bang. So one point, everything came from that. They know that because the universe continues to expand from one point, that there are even radiation lines that come from one point. So they say everything started from one point. And what created everything? Because the world didn't always exist. What created it? They say it's something outside of time and space. And we know that something is God. Another proof for God is we look at the universe and we know that it was intelligently designed. It was finely tuned. I mean, you look at our uh, our atmosphere, it is 21% oxygen. And if the atmosphere was 25% oxygen, there would be fires that just started up all over the place. If it was 15% oxygen, we would suffocate. We wouldn't be able to breathe. If carbon dioxide went up just a little bit, we would burn. If it was, it was lower, we would suffocate because plants couldn't efficiently do photosynthesis. Then you look at gravity. If gravity changed 1%, or technically point. 37 zeros and then a 1%, the sun couldn't exist and neither could we. Our universe was finely tuned, intelligently designed. We could go on and on and on, but we won't today. But I just wanted to help us understand that God created all of it. For me, it's a lot harder to imagine that all of that stuff happened on accident. It's a lot easier to believe that God exists. Both are steps of faith, mind you. Both, you need to take steps of faith because you can't just go back to the beginning of time and figure it out. We have to make a step of faith, a choice. Do we believe that an accident or God? And I believe that God is an easier step of faith. So as we look at that, we know that God exists. The next question that to logically ask is, Since we know it's God, is it the Christian God? Is he the Christian God? And if so, how do we know Jesus is who he said he is? How do we know that Jesus lived, died, and came back? Because if those three things are true, then Christianity is true, and it is. And so let's look at some proof to know how we know that he lived how we know he died, and how we know that he came back. So how do we know he lived? Well, no historian that uses any of the techniques of historical investigation today would say that Jesus didn't exist. In fact, atheists and Muslims and Jewish and Hindu and Christian historians all say that it's evident that Jesus exists, that he walked on this planet. We know that because we can look at history. You can look and see that Emperor Tiberius lived at the time of Jesus. And how do we know that? Because there were 10 different writings about Emperor Tiberius. So you can look in history and go, okay, well, it makes sense. We've found documents over time that say at this point in time, Tiberius existed. And 10 is a lot, but he was an emperor. So there was a lot written about him. And then you go to Jesus. Okay, okay, well, he's this carpenter from this, this small town, this small, uh, not wealthy family. And there are 40 writings about him early on when he walked this earth. Not just from Christians, but from uh, Romans, who did not want Jesus to be who he said he was, and Jewish people as well. You see, there was Roman historians like Tacitus and Suetonius that wrote about Jesus walking this earth, and they lived when Jesus did. There was also a first century Jewish historian named Josephus, who once said there was about this time Jesus, a doer of wonderful works. And Josephus talked about how Jesus died on the cross, and how his believers are going around saying that he came back. 
And we look at that and we can see that Jesus died. I mean, there was an atheist historian that said one of the most undisputable facts in history is that Jesus was crucified for saying that he is God. There's 11 sources that were people right that time that were talking about Jesus being crucified for the claims that he made to be God. So we know that he lived, we know that he died, but how do we know that he came back from the dead? Because this is really the linchpin. This is where everything moves. And if he came back from the dead, which we believe he did, then everything changes. My favorite bit of information and evidence about Jesus coming back from the dead, and there is a lot, my favorite is simply the disciples. You see, back in history, there were many people who claimed to be Messiah. And when they claimed to be Messiah, they would eventually get killed. And when they got killed, their disciples would either die or they would run and hide because they had lost, because they had picked the wrong person. And that kept happening. Eventually, Jesus came. And then he said he was the Messiah and he was killed as well. And his disciples ran and they hid and they were terrified that they would die next. In fact, whenever Jesus rose from the dead in the tomb three days later, they didn't even show up. They were still in hiding. In fact, some women went to the tomb to dress Jesus' body for burial, but they couldn't because Jesus had risen. He is alive. And so the disciples who were this despondent, discouraged group of people, all of a sudden transformed. And they started going around saying, we've seen him. We've touched him. He is alive. And then 500 people said that they saw Jesus walk in this earth again, that he is alive. And then this is, this is what just blows my mind. The disciples then, most of them would go and die gruesome deaths. Whether they were crucified or beheaded or crucified upside down or tortured, all because they would not denounce the name of Jesus. They would not say that Jesus was, was not the son of God who rose from the dead. They kept saying that. And even when they got an opportunity to get let free, they would still say, nope, Jesus is the son of God who rose from the dead. And I can't imagine that if you're trying to protect your buddy and alive for that, not all of them would still keep that to death. And we know about that because of Roman historians and Jewish historians alike. We even know from a Roman historian that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was stoned in 62 AD because he kept going around saying, Jesus is the son of God who rose from the dead. Now, I love that because I have a brother, and I love my brother, and I know some secrets about my brother. But if someone started throwing stones at me to hold on to those secrets, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. I don't even care if those stones are big. They can be small stones. I'm, I'm not getting hit by a stone to protect my brother and his lies or whatever. But James, half-brother of Jesus, saw him his whole entire life, knew that he is who he said he is. And then we got the truth that Jesus is still changing lives 2,000 years later. That people all over the world are still claiming that Jesus has come into their life, that they are made new, that the chains of sin and death are being broken, and they experience these things all over the world without getting a script to say, this is what you need to say when Jesus comes into your heart. They're experiencing it because God is still changing lives. So Jesus is who he said he is. He lived, he died, he came back from the dead. So finally, let's conclude today by asking the last question. Now that we know God exists, now that we know that Jesus is who he said he is, Let's go, how does belief go from our heads to our hearts? And this is important because what we've talked about is it's already a step. It's a step of faith. It's not enough just to know. We have to give our lives over. That's what he's asked. He gave his life over for us. And all he's done is said, accept this gift to remove the separation so you can walk with God once again. You can live into the image bearer that you were created to be. So we take it. And we make a decision to give our lives over. And no one else can make that for us. It's not enough just to know the facts. 
we give our lives over to Jesus. Paul said it this way to the church in Rome. He said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Again, it's a step of faith. But I believe it's the smallest step of faith we can take. We look at the evidence and all of it brings us closer to God. The more you think, the more you contemplate, the more God reveals himself to us. So how do we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and become followers of his, become believers in Jesus? Well, here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, and C. A meaning we admit, we simply admit who he is and who we are, that we're sinners and he's perfect. We confess our sins. Well, before that, I guess we believe. We believe that he is our Lord and Savior, Master. That's the B. And we believe he's also our rescuer from sin and death. And then we confess. We confess our sins, asking for forgiveness, but we also confess him as our Lord and our Savior. And the power of the Holy Spirit then fills us up. We commit to living with him and we don't have to live alone. Part of the Trinity just dwells and lives in us. We get to experience and walk with God every day. And as we do that, we get to start this process of growing closer to God every day. And it is a process. It doesn't just end when we give our lives over. That's the beginning of new life. We were reborn and we were able to walk this life as we were designed to live. And so we can do that with God. Pastor Chris uh, last week talked about how uh, a little while ago, Willow Creek Church did a survey of people that were at different stages of spiritual development. And in that, they surveyed believers, people who had trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they asked them, what do you want help with as you grow closer to Jesus? And the survey responded this way. They wanted help in developing a personal relationship with Jesus, help in understanding the Bible in greater depth, church leaders who model and consistently reinforce how to grow spiritually, a compelling worship experience, and a challenge to grow and take next steps. Those are all good things. And I'm proud to be part of a church where we are committed to helping you grow in those areas. So as we conclude today, let's just talk about five things that we can do to grow in our faith. Five simple things that God has revealed to us through his word that we can, we can do alongside him to grow. And it is growing. We need to grow this, this muscle that is faith and we can learn more and trust him more and get to know him more. So the first thing we can do is read the Bible. It's God's revealed word to us. So let's read it and let's apply it to our lives. If you've never read the Bible, I'd encourage you to start in either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Learn about Jesus. Mark is the one I'd probably start in, but start in any of them. Read the Bible. The second one is join a small group. The early disciples were in these small communities together. They, they did life together. Let's do the same thing. Let's join in small groups. And when we have these questions, and they will come up, let's ask them and let's grow together. Let's find the answers. Let's seek after God together. We can also worship together. That's what we're doing today. The early church worshiped in large gatherings. Let's gather together, praising God. His spirit is here with us. Let us make this a priority to continue tending together. We can pray. God designed us to walk through life with him. He gave us the ability to speak with him and prayers that way where we can communicate and hear from him every day. So let's take advantage of that blessing, that gift by investing time just being with the God of the universe who created us to live in relationship with him. And then finally, we can share with someone else. Share with someone else. Again, we talked earlier about how this might be for you or this might be for you to, to talk with someone else about. So share what you've learned. 
Sharing something that you learned today is applying it, and that leads to transformation. So if there's something interesting today, whether it's about H2O, or it's about James, the half-brother of Jesus, or it's about Tiberius having 10 things in history talking about him, and Jesus 40 things, whatever it is, please, I encourage you to share that with someone else, and we can grow, exercise that muscle of faith, and grow closer to Jesus, the one who created us, who loves us, who died for us, and made the way for us to come closer to him. Amen? Well, we can do that with our next step today. We could practically put this into practice by doing this. It says, I will take steps to grow in my relationship with Jesus this week. A variety of steps we just talked about we can take. Let's make sure to take one. Let's grow closer to Jesus. The first step that we need to take, though, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not yet a believer, is to trust him as Lord and Savior. We just talked about it with the ABCs of how to come to know him. And right now I'm going to pray. I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone in here that doesn't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior to come to know him. So I'm going to pray as if I were you. And I encourage you to use your own words, your own thoughts, to talk to the God of the universe who loves you and wants to make you new today. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe Jesus, your son, came, died, and rose again for me. Please forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. Join me in relationship with you again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray for all of us. As we go out today, that you'll continue to reveal your face to us. You'll continue to talk to us and show us your goodness so that we can experience your relationship in the fullness that you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.